Hello there, this is Lori, and I am going to be talking today about what do we in the wake of uh, just a revolution here, how do we help our white brothers and sisters reconcile their guilt and their desire to help with this movement? Uh, I have talked so many times over these last few days via text, via Facebook, uh, by cell phone with my white friends. And I do have white friends, and I think many of us do. And I think if you can look on your friends list, um, your contact list in your phone, and everybody looks like you, then then understand regardless of the color of your skin, you're part of the problem. Uh, we need diversity, and I am grateful for that diversity that I have in my, my friend circle. So um, we need to understand that um, we keep using these different terms interchangeably. Uh, black person cannot be racist. They can be prejudiced. And so when we talk about police brutality, we have to understand that this is not an issue just from non-black cops. You got some black cops that are pretty dang on evil as well. So um, this is about police brutality in in its wholeness. All right. Um, we see from the situation that happened down in Atlanta with the college kids that were tasered. Those were black cops. Um, even in the situation with George Floyd, uh, one of those um, cops was uh, a man of color and another one is Asian man who uh, they said is um, the brother-in-law of, of uh, Officer Chauvin. This is what we cannot do. We can't make our white friends or the people that we are in association with literally hold the brunt of all of this. That's not fair to them. It's not fair to the cause. We have the opportunity to create unity through reconciliation, uh, through um, the bloodshed from our ancestors to the whips that their ancestors held against us. We have to move forward. The reason why we have so many of our youth and young adults so angry is because we have to remember that these kids grew up with literally eight years of them even understanding what a president was under Barack Obama, a black man. All right. So we had to have those conversations pretty early because um, they they didn't feel there was anything wrong with that. All right. If you're raising your kid right, that's for sure. But we know that some people who uh, you know, a racist, probably telling the kids something different, but most kids were still hearing something different, reading something different. And so now we're seeing on, um, social media, there was a, a girl that I actually posted, her name is Haley. And she literally, you know, uh, videotaped. And I think it was on TikTok where she's having a conversation with her parents about them being racist and why they don't understand systemic racism and why so many blacks are uh, impoverished. So that's gone viral. So I really need someone to check in on Haley because I can't imagine uh, in really a season where they are 
making white people lose their jobs for speaking so brazenly. Um, you know, I, I really would like to know how she's doing and, and what her family feels uh, as she really exposed what they have been saying and really kind of trying to put in her, uh, even though she's been pushing against it. And we have to understand that many of our white friends have done the same. They know how they were raised. They know what many of their relatives thought or still think, and they are trying to be better. Uh, they are trying uh, to understand, and they're trying to raise their own children differently. And ultimately, we have to understand that's basically all they can do. Um, we have to identify what we want to happen in the same way that when we have issues in any type of relationship we have, we have to identify what it is that we indeed do need. It's fine to say and point fingers at what the person's not doing for you, but what exactly can they do to rectify it? And if we can't articulate that, then that is the real issue at hand. Um, so many times we, we don't realize how we interchangeably treat each other. Okay, black to blacks. And uh, I'm not talking about black on black crime. It's a whole nother conversation, whole different time, but it will be talked about. What I'm talking about is literally how we support each other. I have been pretty vocal about um, how I feel about Martin Luther King Jr. And people tossing around how peaceful he was and, you know, this is a disgrace and why can't we be judged on the content of our character? His early uh, 1960s speeches, but when we get to the latter part of his life, before it was brutally taken from him in April of 68, then Martin Luther King had got way woke, okay? Uh, he had migrated up north and a lot of that was due to uh, the Black Panther movement, those leaders that let him understand about how... We were not being afforded proper housing, specifically in the Chicago uh, area uh, projects. And he was mortified. And uh, he even said that it was worse up north than he had seen in the south. And on, in his latter years, that's where he did a lot of his, um, you know, protesting and, you know, fight for social justice was was in the, the northern part of America. And so when people don't necessarily understand how very hated Martin Luther King was by not only whites in this country, but by blacks. And people say, well, how can you say that? Do you know that? I can say it because my mother did not like Martin Luther King Jr. That's why I was able to say that. I remember asking my mom, hey, you know, you know, what do you think about Martin Luther King Jr.? What do you think about him as I'm, you know, trying to get information about him? Because I knew she would have been alive during his era. Um, she said, I really didn't care for him. Uh, to me, he was a troublemaker. And you have to understand that for many blacks, the people who stand up to this, we're being troublemakers. We just need to get along and, and be quiet and just keep moving. And we've seen the same thing happen. And thank God nothing happened to him was Colin Kaepernick. This kid stood up for what was right, peacefully protesting, and he lost everything. Thank goodness that Nike still supported him. 
GQ still supported him and so many others. But it's really, it's really interesting that now so many athletes are coming out. Now, I can say LeBron James, who if you all know me, know I, I'm a big fan of LeBron James. He always stood alongside Cap and was vocal about that, vocal about um, how much he despised social injustice, specifically towards African-Americans. But so many athletes kowtowed that they didn't do anything. And then we get the threats to these athletes and fines imposed on them if they are to protest by kneeling uh, during the national anthem. Um, And all the backlash that came from something like that. And here this kid, and he was a decent quarterback, can't find a job in, in an era where they need a good quarterback. And they blackballed him. But I wonder if they had really blackballed him if more people had stood with Colin. But we didn't. Okay? Um, and that's part of our issue. We want to bring up Martin Luther King now, but Martin Luther King died with a 37% approval rate in the, the United States. So that would be black and white. He was hated. And there's a quote even from his daughter saying how hated her father was. And that was over these last few days. So we have to stop adding these false narratives to our own history. That's part of the issue. Um, I'm passionate about this. And people say, gosh, Lori, you know, you seem like a nice lady and everything, but you really get really out of pocket when it comes to this. And I will agree with you. I agree with you. You know why? Because I had gone so long, a good chunk of my life being completely clueless. That's why I know how some blacks are acting because I was one of those blacks at one time. I'm thinking, you know what? Hey, get yourself a good education, get yourself a good job, you know, just live your life, man. You know, like, it's not that serious anymore. Yeah, it was that serious still. And um, honestly, it wasn't until I started dating my husband, Eric, and that was in the early 90s. Um, you know, he loved, uh, you know, public enemy and, you know, he was militant. And but he would ask me questions about how I felt about, you know, Marcus Garvey. And I'm like, I don't even know anything to discuss about that. I couldn't hold a conversation about it. And it was worse because I really didn't even want to. I, I didn't have a desire to. But in, I think it was in early, mid-90s, uh, Eric and I were out driving, um, just out and about, just taking a drive, summer. And uh, all of a sudden the cops stop us. We can see the siren lights and behind us, Eric pulls over. These guys, you know, they get out and... They are just putting him through the ringer. And Eric was just so upset. I'd never seen him this upset. Um, but I know that it wasn't the first time cops had stopped him. And, th- and these were cops that looked like him, you know. Um, and I just remember him punching the windshield, like sitting in the car, the in the driver's seat and just punching it and just shattering the windshield. He was so livid. Um, but he was scared to show that level of anger to them because he didn't know what would happen to either one of us. So I've, I started seeing things. I started seeing things from the eyes of a black man. 
And that is enough to make you want to understand what is the root of all of this. And I just began to study. I did. I studied about Martin Luther King. I studied about Malcolm X. I studied about the Black Panther movement. Um, and I, I can honestly tell you, there was no time in history where this country has ever been threatened by blacks than they were when the Black Panther movement was active. You've got black folks with afros, sunglasses, black turtlenecks, and leather jackets with rifles on their back, with with power sign, power fist signs being held in the air. Um, and so, you know, J. Edgar Hoover, you know, they did everything they needed to do to dismantle it. But ultimately, the only thing that they knew to do was to infiltrate the Black Panther Party and set basically a mole in there, a snitch. And understand that most of our leaders, whether we're talking about Martin Luther King or Malcolm X uh, or, you know, Fred Hampton, these are people that actually got brought down from their own internally. They were set up um, out of the jealousy, envy and just disdain from their own brother. And we have to begin to face that fact and you know, we have to unify in a, in a better way. We need to have a clear understanding of what we want. How do we get to what we believe would be ideal? And I don't think that many of us know how to articulate that. We say what we don't want, but what do we need and want from this country? This country that was built on the backs, the blood, sweat, and tears of our ancestors. And that's just fact. It was. We are the only people that have been enslaved on American soil. We are the only people that have been, um, you know, persecuted that were never given reparations. Every other group has been given reparations. Whether you're talking about Native Americans or uh I mean, uh, just everyone, Japanese, I'm thinking of everyone has received reparations but us. Why is that? Even what they told us they would give us, we didn't get. The 40 acres and a mule, they couldn't kill Abraham Lincoln quick enough to repeal that. So we have suffered. And no, that doesn't mean that, that you know, some of us haven't done well. I would say, okay, we have. But if we're honest, we still have to watch the things that we say or do even when we do end up in the big conference rooms. We get seats at tables that no one passes us platters to. So just because we're there, is sometimes we do feel like token people because we still don't have a voice. And if we have that voice, we sure better not raise it. So understand that this is still an issue. But if these young people are willing and ready to fight, you know, and without all these, you know, planet people and all of that, that stuff, because that's not okay. And I'm not remotely saying that the looting and, and, and the devastation that was caused and planted and, and deceitfully done is okay. And I pray that, that they keep catching the people that were, you know, you know, set to do that. But we definitely have to look at what is happening in 
our world. Because I think about my grandchildren now. I think about um, what they'll be dealing with if we don't deal with it now. Um, they're seeing all of this. We know most people, you know, most of these kids, they have phones. They have access to the internet, to the things that are happening in this world. And so they are aware. And we have to ensure we're having conversations so that they're clear on where we stand. But wherever we stand, we should be standing on the side of unity. Um, most of our children, they, you know, they come from, you know, diverse backgrounds. They're diverse communities now and diverse schools and diverse, diverse, you know, set of classmates and friends. And, and we don't want to plant anything in them that we're accusing the other folks of planting in their their family. You understand? We we have to still be mindful of that and still know that um, we'll be held accountable to putting any nonsense into their heads. So we have lots of work to do. I can tell you this week I joined the NAACP, $30. Uh, if, you're, if you're not from the Cleveland area, then just look up your local chapter and, and join the NAACP. It's $30. You can go to a next level up. I'm going to start there and, and see what they're doing. Um, you know, that obviously a lot of Black Lives Matters have, have uh, area chapters. I'm going to be looking into that. I wrote my state representative, um, and she wrote back. So there are things that we can do to stay active uh, in this fight. The one thing we can't do is to just kind of rest on our laurels because we have charges against those four cops. Uh, <laughs> Minnesota is notorious for not bringing convictions on, on bad cops, okay? Um, and traditionally, there are not a whole lot of convictions on charges that are brought against these cops to do these heinous things, all right, to those that they vow to serve and protect. What along that line do we need to see from our uh, law enforcement? Uh, there needs to be a better check and balance. Uh, I said this years ago, there needs to be better training. There needs to be a level of accountability to the partner that is with that cop on a call. When, when they get too far, listen, mm-mm. You take over, have a buzzword so that they know, hey, you're going too far and hey, because this is nonsense. This is too much. It's got to end. This is so traumatic to just this world. Um, and I just believe that God, he says that he'll, you know, use those things that were meant for evil and turn around and make them good. And I believe that he's going to do that in this situation with George Floyd. Um, and it's just, it was just so tough to watch. It was tough to watch as a mother. Um, you can't imagine the type of day that George Floyd was having as this was the two-year anniversary death of his mom. Um, and so he probably was having a heck of a day, heck of a week, heck of a month. Um along with the pandemic that, from what I understand, put him out of work. Um, but he was not having a good day that day. And I pray that when he cried to his mother, that angel of a mother heard that cry. And I pray that he didn't suffer much um, because that was just hard to watch as a mother, as a mother of a black son, uh, as a wife of a black man. 
it's it's just wasn't easy to watch that um and i don't think anyone can unwatch what we saw and i believe that's why it's been such a powerful outcry uh, i applaud the 17 year old young girl that was wise enough to to record that what would we have done without this young girl's taping of that um and other people's because other people got different angles and that's how we were able to to find out about those other three officers but i did hear then that the other officers uh one was that was like he was a rookie he literally had just started i think they said it was his third day um another one was very much new as well and I don't know how, how long the Asian officer had been with the force, but like I said, the two were brother-in-laws. But these poor kids probably felt like they were in the movie Training Day, you know? Uh, if you haven't seen that, with, with uh, most people have seen that, obviously, with Denzel Washington, um, where he's a bad, he's a dirty cop. And here he is trying to train a young kid who was trying to be, you know, good, wanted to come in and, and be right and... Yeah, I'm doing all kind of dirty crap. And so your heart goes out to, to those other officers, you know, especially the two that were new. Um, you've got veteran officers and, and you know, that's a power play even in that. So I just, uh, we're just praying for God's perfect will in this situation. If you believe that God is sovereign, and I do, then this didn't catch him by surprise. He knows all about it. So whatever we're doing on the other end of it, we have to ensure that we look like Jesus. Um, what would Jesus do? And he would uh, seek justice um, and he would give mercy and he would walk humbly. So we have to uh, still stay prayerful and know that we are definitely in a shift. I believe we are, uh, but there's still so much work to do. So we can't look at it like, okay, great, everyone's in jail and you know, or maybe it goes, I don't even know that part, but that we've got the charges, but that, yeah, that's, that's good. No, it isn't. It's not good enough. We have to keep fighting for justice, um, for fairness, and uh, we can do it. I believe we can do it, but we have to be committed to it. Thanks so much. Uh, I'll be back, actually. I'm going to be, uh, you know, literally answering some of these questions that have been posed, and uh, I hope you can join. Take care, and God bless.